Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Psalm 127. And, uh, of course, tonight we are continuing in our series, Happily Ever After. And uh, on Mother's Day, we kind of transitioned to the uh, subject of children. We dealt with um, several weeks on the subject of marriage, and then uh, we talked about finances for a couple of weeks. Now we're going to spend the next several weeks uh, talking about uh, children and uh, having children, what the Bible teaches about children. And tonight I'm preaching on the subject of what the Bible teaches about having uh, children. And let me just, just say this, uh, just kind of by way of introduction, uh, the majority of our world has a wrong and misguided view of uh, children and having children. And uh, like I was preaching about this morning, our question, you know, should always be when the question is asked, you know, about anything. But if the question is asked, you know, about having children, our answer should always be, well, what does the Bible say? And because uh, yeah, we're trying to build our lives on the Bible, that's what uh, should be our priority. And uh, Christian couples should allow the Bible to inform their view of everything, but it sh- uh, they should inform- allow the Bible to inform their view of having children. And of course, I want to teach you what the Bible says about this. You're there in Psalm 127. Look down at verse number three. The Bible says this, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. The Bible teaches that children are a blessing, that children are a reward, that children are the heritage of the Lord. And when God blesses you with children, that is a blessing from the Lord. I'd like you to keep your place there in Psalm 127. Keep your finger there. We're going to come back to it. But go with me, if you would, to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, right before the book of Matthew. And, you know, obviously, this is something that I've preached over the years at our our church, and I preach this on a regular basis every few years or so, and this is my church growth sermon. This is our, uh, our, our way where we grow our church by teaching you to have children, and, uh, and I praise the Lord for it. Our church always has a, a, a group of ladies that are pregnant. There's always somebody pregnant at our church. Right now, I think on our prayer list, we've got five different ladies we're praying for in regards to uh, expecting children, and, and we praise uh, God for that. And what I want to do tonight is I want to give you six statements in regards to what the Bible teaches about having children. They're not points, and they're not alliterated. They're, they're statements. They're kind of uh, uh, these long uh, sentences, and, and, and I'll do my best to, to say them slowly and all of that so you can write down. But I'd like you to write these statements down, six statements in regards to what the Bible teaches about having children. And you should write these down so you know what the Bible teaches about having children, so you can teach somebody what the Bible teaches about having children, maybe your future children or grandchildren, so you can be a blessing in regards to that. Six statements in regards to what the Bible teaches about having children, and I'll give you the the first statement. Number one, marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. The Bible teaches that the purpose... Uh, of marriage, the primary purpose of marriage, as far as God is concerned, is for the procreation of the human race, and it is for the, uh, uh, the, the ability of having children. There in Malachi chapter 2, in verse 14, the Bible says this, yet ye say, wherefore, I want you to notice, the Bible says here, because the Lord, this is God Malachi the prophet speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost is speaking to a, uh, to a, 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 a man that is married here, a couple. He says, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. Here Malachi is stating that God himself was the witness 
uh, at your marriage ceremony, when you took vows uh, between you and your wife and God, that the Lord was the witness of that of those vows between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Here he's speaking to a man that is looking to divorce his wife, and he says you're dealing treacherously uh, with her. He says, yet is she thy companion. And by the way, in marriage, uh, marriage is supposed to be a friendship. Uh, it should be founded upon the foundation of, of friendship. Here he says, yet she is thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And of course, we know that marriage is a covenant between couples and God. Verse 14, and did not he make one? Now, when he says here, did not he make one? The reference is that he made them one flesh. And all throughout the Bible, when you learn about marriage and the concept of marriage, you know, this comes up, this idea of becoming one flesh, one flesh. And, and often in the Bible, the reference to one flesh is a reference to the physical relationship or the coming together of a married couple. That's not the only uh, reference to being one flesh, but if you look at it in Scripture, you'll notice that one flesh is often a reference to that physical coming together of a couple. And he says, did not he, referring to God, make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. Now, once you notice there in verse 15, he says, and wherefore. Now, the word wherefore means for what reason? He says, and wherefore one? He says, why did God take Adam and Eve and make them one flesh? Why did he give them the marriage covenant? Why did he uh, institute marriage? Why did he allow marriage? He says, and wherefore one? I mean, this is a pretty big question. Here, Malachi the prophet is asking, why did God institute marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? What is the reason for marriage? And he says, and wherefore one? He said, did not he make one? And wherefore, for what reason, for what purpose, why did he make one? Notice the answer. He says that he might seek a godly seed. When you ask God, God, why did you institute marriage? His answer is, because I was looking for a godly seed. If you ask God, you see, you, you might say, I thought God instituted marriage. So because we're, we're in love. And we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. You sound like a kid that's watched too many Disney movies. You sound like a kid that's engaged. If you want to know why God instituted marriage, is so that you can have children. So that he might seek a godly seed. He says, therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Now, obviously, is, is there more to marriage than children? Of course there is. Your wife should be your companion. There is a covenant. She is a help me. You are the head of the home. We understand all that, and I've spent weeks preaching on that. But when it comes down to it, you must understand, number one, that marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. And it's even silly that I have to make that statement, but yet today you talk to a lot of people getting married and they'll make statements like, we don't, have, we don't want children. So then the question is, why are you getting married? Because if you ask God, wherefore hath he made one, he, the answer is he, that he might seek a godly seed. Marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Keep your, uh, keep your place there, Malachi, if you like. We're going to come back to Malachi. It's easy to find. Go back to the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm 113. Psalm 113. 
See, the physical relationship between a husband and wife is meant for procreation. It's meant for reproduction. God instituted it because He wanted there to be uh, a, a, this idea of a man and his wife being fruitful and multiplying. Now, let me just answer this, this question because sometimes ladies are unable to get pregnant. And, uh, and, and, and we understand that. And sometimes, you know, I'll preach this or I'll teach this and, and somebody will ask the question, well, if, if I can't get pregnant, then are we not supposed to be married or anything like that? And, and please, please understand this. When, we're, when, when the Bible teaches and when we say that the, the purpose of marriage is to have children, the idea is that the, the purpose in general of marriage, the purpose for the institution of marriage is for procreation and to have children. We understand that there are some couples that are unable to have children, some ladies who are unable to have children, and that doesn't mean that you're, uh, you shouldn't be married or your, your marriage is not uh, in the will of God or anything like that. But generally speaking, the vast majority of people that get married are able to have children, and all marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Now, like I said, we understand sometimes women are barren, and and they are uh, unable to have children. Let, Let me say this just as a way of encouragement. A wife being barren is actually a theme you find throughout the entire Bible. If you really stop and think about it, you might be surprised how many stories you have in the Bible about women that weren't able to have children. I mean, you have Hannah, you have Sarah, you have Elizabeth. You've got all sorts of stories in the Bible of ladies that are unable to have children and and and. Just so you know, there's not any, there's not one story in the entire Bible of a lady that could not get pregnant, that did not get pregnant uh, in the Bible when they prayed. Now, sometimes it took a long time. For Rebecca, it took 40 years for her to get pregnant, but she got pregnant. In Psalm 113 and verse 9, the Bible says this, He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. The truth is this, that God is the one that opens and closes the womb. God is the one that is in charge of giving you uh, a, a child, and God is the one that, that does those things. And the Bible says with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And God can give you children. Sometimes ladies are, are, are unable to get pregnant, and we understand that. And look, my wife and I, we have six children. And uh, in, 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 in the last couple of years, my wife has had some fertility problems where uh, she has been unable to keep a pregnancy. She can get pregnant, but she cannot keep uh, a pregnancy. And, and, and that's, you know, that's just how it is. And that's God's will for us at, at this time. But the point is this, that marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. And what I mean by that is that marriages should not be avoiding. Uh, and like I said, if you, you've got six kids, I, I, I was speaking to somebody at the camping trip that I was, uh, uh, that I was at uh, just this last week, and he, he had seven children, and he was telling me about how they, they'd like to have more children, but his wife had some health problems, is unable to have children. I told him, look, you got seven kids. I don't think anybody can say that you've not been fruitful and you've not multiplied. 
All right, so I think you're, I think you're fine. But this idea that young couples get married and they're like, we don't want to, we don't want to have children, or we don't want a lot of children, or we we want to wait ten years before we have children. Hey, then then why don't you wait ten years to get married? Because marriages should be committed and willing. If God wants to give you, you should be willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. That's the whole point. God is looking for a godly seed. People sometimes ask the question, are you trying to get pregnant? It's a silly question. You don't try to get pregnant. You try to not get pregnant. Getting pregnant is easy. And this should be something, look, it comes with the deal of marriage. Marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Go to 1 Corinthians, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Do me a favor, when you get to 1 Corinthians, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Statement number 1, marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Number 2, a physical relationship is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage because that physical relationship produces children. You say, why does the Bible teach against fornication? Why does God not want a a man and a woman that are not married to enjoy the physical relationship uh, uh, that they could have together? Here's why. Because that relationship produces children. And the people that are supposed to have children are the ones that are married. So a physical relationship is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage but only because that physical relationship produces children and marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. And if marriages are willing to embrace the responsibility of having children, then God says, hey, have at it and enjoy the physical relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 3, the Bible says, let the husband... Render unto the wife due benevolence. You see the word due there? It, that's something you owe. You owe your wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. The Bible teaches us there are some things that the wife owes to the husband. And there are some things that the husband owes to the wife. Verse 7, the wife. And, and, and it's more than just the physical relationship. And again, I'm not going to re-preach all the sermons on, on marriage. But here Paul is specifically talking about the physical relationship between a husband and wife. He says, The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. God says, look, when you got married, you gave permission and consent to your spouse for the rest of your life to the point where you hath not power of your own body. The wife hath not power of her own body. The husband hath not power of his own body. You uh, uh, gave consent for the rest of your life. When you said to have and to hold from this day forward, you consented to a lifetime of a physical relationship between a husband and wife. And to deny that, is to defraud. Notice verse 5. Defraud ye not one the other. He says to deny, to deny your husband or to deny your wife 
the physical relationship is to defraud. The word defraud means to, to steal, to, to not hold up your end of the bargain, to, to lie to someone. He says, defraud you not one the other except to be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Here, the Bible tells us that, look, the only time that you're allowed to not come together in the physical relationship as a husband and wife is uh, during a time of fasting and prayer, and even that has to be done with consent. And I'm just here to tell you that everything the world tells you, it's like the sermon I was preaching this morning, everything the world tells you is opposite of what the Bible says. Everything the world tells the world says, get married and don't have children. The Bible says, get married so you can have children. The Bible says, you, you know, in, 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 in the world, they'll say, uh, well, you know, before you have a physical relationship, you need consent. And here's the thing. The only time, you, you say, does the, does the Bible not teach that? Well, here's the thing. The only time you would need consent, and I realize what I'm about to say is not popular and it's not, and people don't like it, but you know what? You don't like the Bible. The only time you would hypothetically need consent is when you're not married. And the Bible takes care of that because the Bible says, don't have a physical relationship when you're not married. And then the Bible says, when you are married, the only time you need consent, you need consent to not have the physical relationship. Because you made a promise. You made a vow to your spouse to, uh, uh, to a lifetime of that relationship. And look, God wants you to enjoy it. God wants you uh, to enjoy that and, and, and embrace with that the responsibility of having children. Go to Hebrews, if you would. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. You're there. If, if you go backwards from Revelation, you have Jude, 3rd and 2nd and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. See, the physical relationship between a husband and wife is not only meant for procreation, but it's also meant for pleasure. And look, please understand this. If couples, if we lived in a society when people just got married, enjoyed the physical relationship between a husband and wife, and then had children, it would solve so many, there, there would be no abortion. There'd be no need for abortion. You say, why? why is there so much abortion? You know why there's so much abortion? Because there's so much fornication. And so many people getting pregnant. And, well, I'm not in a position to have a child right now in my life. And I'm not in a place where I can have a child. Well, then you're not in a place to engage in that relationship. That relationship is meant for a husband and a wife who are also supposed to embrace the idea of having children. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Hebrews 13 and verse 4, the Bible says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. I said, number one, marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Number two, a physical relationship is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage because that physical relationship produces children. And I'll be honest with you, I remember reading years ago, I would read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 3 and 4 and 5 where it says, the wife hath not power of her own body but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body but the wife, defraud ye not one another except to be with consent. And I used to kind of think to myself, like why does God even say this 
Like, does this really need to be said? I mean, do you really, like, I know we want to get to basics, but, like, isn't this pretty basic? And then I found out, and then I found out as a pastor that literally there are wives that will punish their husbands by withholding the physical relationship. I was just like, I just, my mind was just blown away. I'm like, seriously? This happens? I mean, you've got couples that will not come together for weeks and months. And I think to myself, good night. And then I, and then I read 1 Corinthians 7, I'm like, well, yeah, that's why God said it. You say, you know, is it, is it not okay that we don't come together? Then why did you get married? Defraud ye not one another except to be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting. I mean, how long? Last I checked, there's only a few people in the Bible that fasted for 40 days. It was Moses and Jesus, and you're not one of them. And the Bible says that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. That word incontinency means the inability to restrain or bring yourself under self-control. Look, the Bible says that marriage is honorable and all and the bed undefiled. God, look, within marriage, God wants you to enjoy the relationship of a husband and wife. And outside of marriage, he wants you to abstain from that. He wants you to flee fornication. So I said, number one, marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Number two, a physical relationship is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage because that physical relationship produces children. Here's number three. Go, go to 1 Corinthians. Well, you're there in 1 Corinthians. You're in Hebrews. Keep your place in Hebrews. Go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's statement number three. If someone is not willing or ready to take on the commitment and responsibility of having children, then they are not ready to enjoy the physical relationship of marriage, and they are not ready for marriage. Listen to me. If you have this idea where you say, well, I want to get married, but I'm not ready to have children, then you're not ready to be married. If you are not willing and ready to take on the commitment and responsibility of having children, then you are not ready to enjoy the physical relationship of marriage because I'm here to break, break it to you. Hollywood has lied to you. All those love songs you've listened to have lied to you. The purpose of marriage is having children. That's what God wants. That's what God is looking for. And by the way, couples are way better when they have children. There's a reason why statistics prove that once children leave the house, once you get into that empty nester stage, you are way more likely to get a divorce. It's true. So, well, how, how, do you, how do you fix that? Well, you fix that by, number one, being right with God and just doing what you're supposed to do. But number two, have lots of children. So that way they'll just be in your house for a long time. You have a bunch of kids in your house for a long time. And, you know, eventually it kind of comes to the point, you know, in June, my wife and I will have been married 18 years. Can you believe that? 18 yeah. years. I know. We do, I do not look that old. <laughs> no, actually, I do look that old. My wife doesn't look that old, but I do look that old. And, and, you know, we got six kids at home. And, look, if you just stop fighting the will of God and just embrace what the Bible, you just build your life on the Bible, Amen. you'd be blessed. If someone is not willing or ready to take on the commitment and responsibility of having children, they are not ready to enjoy the physical relationship of marriage. Here's what I'm telling you. These couples that get married and they go 10 years without having children, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous and it's selfish. And you say, I don't think you should say that. Listen, 
Every reason to not have children is a selfish reason. Give me a reason that for not having children that's not selfish. They're all selfish. They're, they're, and by the way, let me take it a step further. There's never a good reason to have children. There's ne- I mean, if you're looking for like a secular, just easy, just, you know, there's never a good reason. There's never a good time. You never have enough money. You'll never have enough anything. You say, what, what, what should we do? Just have children. If you're not willing to have children, you should not be getting married. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says. Now concerning the things whereof I wrote unto you, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. See, here God is t- telling a man, listen to me, he's telling a man that's not ready to have children, and he says, hey, if you're not ready to have children, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. You don't have to have children if you're not ready to have children. But if you're not ready to have children, then don't touch a woman. Amen. It says, now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Verse 2, nevertheless, well, I can't keep myself from touching her. Okay, well, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. And if you're going to have a wife and you're going to have a husband, then you better be ready to embrace having children. Because that's the whole point. That's what God wants. You say, that's not what I want. It doesn't matter what you want. That's what God wants. I said, number one, marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Number two, A physical relationship is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage because that physical relationship produces children. Number three, if someone is not willing or ready to take on the commitment and responsibility of having children, then they are not ready to enjoy the physical relationship of marriage and they are not ready to get married. Number four, go to Isaiah, if you would, Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, if you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. After Psalms, you have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. Here's point number 4. Here's the big one. Here's the important one. I I actually just made a... a, We just did a short on this last week. It was on my mind because I was preparing for the sermon. Number 4. Christian couples should reject birth control. Christian couples should reject birth control as sinful because it ends life after conception. Christian couples should reject birth control as sinful because it ends life after conception. As Bible-believing Christians, we believe that life begins at conception. The Bible teaches that life begins at conception. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. A virgin shall conceive. I want you to notice this phrase, a virgin shall conceive. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. You're there in Isaiah. Go to Matthew chapter 1, first book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find, Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, we have the passage in Isaiah 7.14 being quoted. In Isaiah 7.14, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. In Matthew 1.23, we read, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. I want you to notice that when the Bible, look, our King James Bible serves as its own dictionary. If you want to know what the Bible means or what the Bible says, let the Bible compare itself. You say, what does the word conceive mean? Here's what it means. It means to be with child. 
because those terms are used interchangeably. In Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Matthew 1, 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. So when you have conception, you have a child. The Bible teaches that life begins at conception. It's not the only passage uh, that teaches that, but this is a passage that teaches that. Now look, it's important for us that we know that. Right now, there's all these protests going around about Roe versus Wade, and Roe versus Wade uh, looks like it's going to be overturned. And you know what? Praise God for that. That's not exactly where we need it to be. I think Christians sometimes get a little too excited about uh, some things. Uh, pray, you know, praise the Lord. People ask me, what do you think about this Roe versus Wade thing? And, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm for any step that gets us closer towards uh, outlying abortions, but repealing Roe versus Wade does not make abortions illegal across this country. All it does is it allows the states to make decisions. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. The state of California is going to continue to kill babies. So I don't have anything to rejoice about. Now, we're told that there may be 26 states that can uh, stop abortions overnight, and I praise the Lord for that. But let me tell you something. Repealing Roe versus Wade is not this huge conservative Christian uh, uh, win that we've now won abortion. Hey, abortion has not been won until it's been outlawed across the entire country. Amen. It shouldn't be. And look, I, I even have these Fox News Baptists putting uh, comments on our YouTube channels talking about, well, you know, this is how it should be. It should go back to the states because we're libertarian. Look, I'm not a libertarian and I'm not a Republican and we don't have a, an American flag in this church because God's not an American. I'm a Bible-believing Christian and it should be illegal. I don't care what the libertarians say. It should be illegal because it's murder. Yeah, right. Bible says thou shalt not kill. Well, uh, we, 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 as, as Fox News Baptists, we should let the state decide. You, as a Bible-believing Christian, we should let God decide. Amen. It's murder. Now, look, I'm for, I'm for anything that gets us closer. I'm for anything that gets us closer to the ending of abortion. But let me tell you something. This is not some great win. It, it's, it's just something that should have never happened. The Supreme Court should have never uh, ruled in, in the way they did on Roe versus Wade. And the fact that it's just being repealed just gets us back to... To square one, we haven't won anything. It should be illegal everywhere. It shouldn't be up to the state, and it shouldn't be up to anybody. It's murder because life begins at conception. Now, here's what they'll tell you. They'll try to justify it by saying that life doesn't begin at conception. Life begins 14 days later. Life begins when, 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 the, uh, when, the, when the egg, you know, connects itself or attaches itself to the uterus. Life begins, I mean, all sorts of crazy, life begins at 23 weeks. I mean, Barack Obama thought that you could abort a baby right before you gave birth to it. Partial birth abortion. Partial birth abortion. By the way, let me say this. The little Roe versus Wade being overturned means that there are some states that are going to make partial birth abortion legal, which means that you can literally partially give birth to a baby and abort it. So no, I'm not rejoicing. I'm not that excited. I'm not just singing, you know, God bless America. It's wicked as hell. The Bible teaches that life begins at conception. Behold, a virgin shall conceive is quoted in our Bible as a virgin shall be with child. So when you've had conception, you've had a child. You need to understand that as a Bible-believing Christian. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Go back to Hebrews 11. Excuse me, Hebrews 11 and verse 11. Hebrews 11 and verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength. Notice how the Bible words it. It says, to conceive seed. Notice, the Bible connects these thoughts of conception and seed. 
not implantation. That's what they'll try to say. Oh, no, well, it's not a, it's not a, a baby until it's implanted 14 days later. No, no, no. You conceive seed. When you have fertilization, when a man's seed meets the egg of a woman, you've got life. It's a human being. It's a life. Do you understand that? It's a life with a soul. It's a person. It's someone that God created. It's someone that God created with a, with a plan and a purpose for their life. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And look, I understand we live in a world today and maybe you, you might say, well, I've had an abortion in the past. Look, I'm not, I'm not beating up on you. We, all of us have sinned in our past and you say, well, what do I do? Ask God to forgive you and don't do it again. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. Maybe you've never been taught these things. You didn't go to a church that taught you these things. It was a sin of ignorance. God understands that. But listen, now that we know it, we need to proclaim it. We need to teach it. She conceived seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So I said that Christian couples should reject birth control as sinful because it ends life after conception. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm not preaching against, uh, against abortions. I mean, I was just preaching against abortions. But I'm not talking about abortions right now. I'm talking about birth control. Birth control. Pills you take to keep you from getting pregnant do not only keep you from getting pregnant, they end pregnancies after you've had conception. They create silent abortions. They end life after conception. Birth control ends life after conception. And no Bible-believing Christian should ever take birth control. Ever, for any reason. You say, I don't know, I've never heard that before. Well, let me read to you from a, an article. How does hormonal contraceptives work is what the title of the article. It's from WebMD. I, 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 want, I like reading it from WebMD because, you know, you don't, people don't trust me. I'm a fundamentalist cult leader. But last I checked, WebMD was not some fundamentalist organization. I mean, last I checked, WebMD was not even as fundamental as the sword of the Lord. Uh, last I checked, WebMD is just a secular website with a bunch of God-hating doctors. So, you know, let them tell you, how does hormonal contraceptive work? Here's what they said. A woman, now uh, let me just say this. They, they use some words that I don't like to use, so I'm going to change some words to, to biblical words. But they said, a woman becomes pregnant when an egg released from her ovary, that's the organ that holds her egg, is fertilized by a man's seed. The fertilized egg attaches to the inside of the woman's womb or uterus where it receives nourishment and develops into a baby. Again, disclaimer. Those are their words, not mine. I don't believe it develops into a baby. I believe it is a baby. It's life begins at conception. The Bible says it already is a baby. Here's what they say. Hormonal, uh, hormones in the woman's body control the release of the egg from the ovary called ovulation and prepare the body to accept the fertilized egg. Now, they go into explaining how it is that hormonal contraceptives keep you, according to them, from getting pregnant. They say there's three ways that hormonal contraceptives do this. Number one, they say uh, the, the hormonal contraceptives referring to the pill, the patch, the ring, 
all contain a small amount of man-made estrogen or progestin hormones. These hormones work to inhibit the body's natural cyclical hormones to prevent pregnancy. Pregnancy is prevented by a combination of factors. Number one, the hormonal contraceptives usually stop the body from ovulating. Hormonal contraceptives, uh, so let me just stop there. Let me, let me just kind of explain this to you step by step. There's three factors in regards to how they work. Because they'll tell you that they're like 98% effective, 97% effective, 99% effective. Well, those percentages are based on the fact that there's three different ways they keep you from, quote-unquote, getting pregnant. The first way is that these hormones that you are taking in your body, ladies, will stop your body uh, from uh, releasing an egg, from ovulating. Now, if, if that's the case and you don't release an egg, then when you have the physical relationship between a man and a woman, then the man's seed never conceives the egg or fertilizes the egg. And in that case, then they did keep you from getting pregnant. And, you know, there, there, there's, that's not murder. I'm not going to say that there's nothing wrong with that because it's still weird, this Frankenstein taking hormones and messing with your body, but at least you didn't end any life because the egg was not there to be conceived. Does that make sense? Here's number two. Hormonal contraceptives also change the cervical mucus to make it difficult for the seed of a man to go through a cervix and find an egg. So the other thing that these hormonal contraceptives do is that they change the cervical mucus in order to keep the, egg, the, 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 the seed of a man from finding the egg so that there is no conception. And again, it's weird, but it's not murder. Here's the problem. In case those two factors don't work, there's a third factor. Hormonal contraceptives can also, they say prevent pregnancy. The reality is they end pregnancy by changing the lining of the womb so it's unlikely the fertilized egg will be implanted. So they said, look, let's say that our first two ways don't work. We're going to keep, we're going to try to keep you from uh, releasing an egg. And if that happens, there's no conception. Is that if, if we, if we fail at keeping you from releasing an egg, then we're going to uh, uh, change the cervical mucus so that we'll try to keep the man's seed from reaching the egg. And if that happens, there's no conception. But they said, just in case those two don't work and the man's seed reaches the egg of a woman, now there's conception, now there's fertilization. Well, let me tell you something. When that happens, there's life. It's a human being. They said the hormonal contraceptives can also prevent pregnancy by changing the lining of the womb so it's unlikely the fertilized egg will be implanted. Once it is fertilized, there is conception. It is alive. To not allow the conceived life to implant in the uterus uh, means that it would not receive the nourishment that it needs and it would die. It would starve. This is a silent abortion. And this is murder. So look, Christian couples should reject birth control as sinful because it ends life after conception. And, and, and I pray to the Lord that there's no women in this church that would ever even think of taking a chance of God giving you a child and in your womb starving that life to death. It should be rejected, out of hand. should not be something Christians do. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. 
You say, Pastor Menes, I don't think this is going to be very popular. If you think I care what people think about my preaching, you don't know me very well. I don't give a rat's tail what you think about my preaching. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Birth control ends life after conception. They produce silent murder, and it's death, and it's murder. There's silent abortions, and it's wrong. I said, number one, marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Number two, a physical relationship is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage because the physical relationship produces children. If someone, number three, if someone is not willing or ready to take on the commitment and responsibility of having children, then they are not ready to enjoy the physical relationship of marriage, and they are not ready for marriage. Number four, Christian couples should reject birth control as sinful because it ends life after conception. And again, if you're sitting here tonight and you say, I didn't know that, I was on birth control, I might have done that. Hey, you know what? Ask God to forgive you. God forgives you. Move on with your life. I'm not preaching this to beat up on you, but I am preaching this to try to keep the next generation from doing this. Number five, children should be seen as a blessing to be embraced by married couples couples, and not a burden to be avoided. When you read the Bible, you find that God always speaks about children as a blessing, as a good thing. Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Notice verse 28. And, don't miss this, and God blessed them. God blessed them. And God said. Now, the Bible tells us that God what? He blessed them. How did he bless them? He's about to tell us how he blessed them. And God said unto them, live in a really nice house. Is that what he said? Is that the blessing he gave them? Look, we just read a verse about marriage. And so God created a man in his own image. The image of God created in him. Male and female created in them. Referring to Adam and Eve, the fact that he made them one flesh, the one that he made them, married a couple. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, go on a cruise every year. Is that the blessing that God said? And God blessed them. And God said unto them, drive two really nice vehicles. Is that what he said? And God blessed them. And God said unto them, have two really good jobs and then just be filthy rich and enjoy. Is that what he said? Because that's what everybody thinks God's blessing is. People think God's blessing is living in a nice house, going on a bunch of vacations, driving nice vehicles, having nice clothes. That's what they think God's blessing is. Well, let me tell you something. That's not what the Bible says. And God looks down at a man and a woman that he created for the purpose of marriage that they might have children. He said, hey, let me bless you. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. And replenish the earth. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. It's interesting to me that when God says, hey, let me give you a blessing, be fruitful and multiply. That's the blessing. And it's consistent. Go to Genesis 9. Look at verse 1. Genesis 9 and verse 1. When Noah gets off the ark, Genesis 9 and verse 1. Notice, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them. Here we're going to see God bless somebody else. What does he say? No surprise, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Go to Genesis 28, look at verse 1. Genesis 28 and verse 1. You know what the world does? The world just complains about their kids. Kids are a burden, kids are this, kids are that. You know, all all these 
uh, p- these, these parents are, during the summer months, they're always talking about, like, oh, I can't wait till summer's over so I can send my kids back to school let somebody else raise them. The world teaches us, and look, this stuff gets, 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 in, it, it, it gets put into the, the minds of even Christians, and Christians begin to think this way and talk this way, as if their children are a burden, as if their children are something that, 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 that makes their lives worse. No, look, if you've got kids, God has blessed you. Genesis 28, verse 1, and Isaac called Jacob and blessed him. Here we have Isaac giving a blessing to his son Jacob and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy, father's, uh, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife. Here we have Isaac blessing a young man, Jacob. How does he bless him? He says, hey, uh, I, hey Jacob, I want to bless you. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and told him to go to uh, college and to hang out on a dorm with a bunch of guys. That's not what it says. He blessed him. How did he bless him? He said, take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Verse 3, and God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people. You know what God calls a blessing? Having children. Go to Genesis 35. Look at verse 11. Genesis 35, verse 11. Genesis 35 and verse 11, the Bible says, And God said unto him, again, speaking to Jacob, who he renamed Israel, he said, I am God Almighty. Notice, he says, Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. You know, we need to just change our perspective and realize that children are a blessing. I don't live in a nice house. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of nice clothes. The nicest clothes I have, I wear here. (laughs) But I'm a blessed man. Because God has blessed me with children. Because God has given my wife and I children. And children are a blessing. And children should not be seen as a burden. And please, listen to me. Are children work? Yes, they are. Are they hard work? Absolutely. But are they worth it? Absolutely. I understand that children can, can, it can be difficult at times to have children. I understand that sometimes it can get frustrating to have children. I, look, I get it. We got six kids. I mean, you, you've heard me say this before. You know, you, you've got one kid and it's two against one. You got two kids and you're one on one. Then you got three kids and you got, you know, four kids. You got to start doing zone defense. But it gets to a point where they start outnumbering you, you know, and it can get hard. It can get difficult. It can get expensive. I get that. Look, I have six kids. We have a family of eight. Our family lives off of one income. I've got my, my two oldest are, are pretty much teenage boys that eat more than I do. I mean, our, our monthly budgeted grocery, our grocery budget a month is $1,250 a month. That's what we spend on groceries every month. It's expensive. I mean, when my kids get married and leave the house, I'm going to feel like I got a raise. And, you know, it's, it, we're going to save so much money on food. But let me tell you something. It's worth it. Amen. Children are a blessing. Stop looking at your kids like they're some sort of a burden. Like they're difficult and hard. It's always sad when parents don't want to be around their children, when they're constantly pushing their children away. And by the way, look, if you're constantly pushing your kids away or trying to put some screen in front of them and make them go somewhere else, look, you're you're failing. You're doing something wrong, very wrong. 
I remember I used to, whenever we have people over at our house or, you know, our, our kids, if you've ever been over to our house, you know, we'll be sitting there and talking to adults, and then our kids are just always, like, around us, you know. And sometimes we need to have adult conversations about things, so I need to tell them, like, you guys need to get lost, you know. But it used to kind of bother me, like, they were just always there, just always right next to us, always wanted to be. And then I realized this is a blessing. Amen. It's a blessing that our kids want to actually be around us. You know, it's a blessing that God has allowed us to raise children that are not bad kids. Obviously, all kids are sinners. Your kids are a sinner like my kids are sinners. But don't see your children as a blessing. Children should be seen as a, uh, as a, as a burden. Children should be seen as a blessing to be embraced by married couples, not a burden to be avoided, not a burden to be dropped off at a daycare, not a burden to be dropped off at a school, not a burden to be dropped off at an after-school uh, program, not a burden to have uh, just drop off uh, onto somebody else. You should want to be around your children. They're a blessing. Number six, go back to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. I said, number one, marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Number two, a physical relationship is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage because that physical relationship produces children. Number three, if someone is not willing or ready to take on the commitment and responsibility of having children, then they are not ready to enjoy the physical relationship of marriage and they are not ready for marriage. Number four, Christian couples should reject birth control as sinful because it ends life after conception. Number five, children should be seen as a blessing to be embraced by married couples, not a burden to be avoided. Here's number six. We should always remember why God wants us to have children. Not simply for the sake of having children, but to raise, a God, to raise godly children for him. Amen. Psalm 127, where we started, in verse 1, the Bible says this, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Oftentimes, we use this verse in regards to the church house. And I don't have a problem with people using this verse in regards to the church house. But I want you to understand that the context of this verse is about your house, your, your, your marriage, the house that you're building, the life that you're building. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You know, when it comes to your children, and we're, we're, we're shifting gears to this idea of children. Next week, I'm going to preach a sermon on what you need to do in order to raise your children. But let me just start by saying this. We must involve God in our child rearing. Because except the Lord built the house, they labor in vain to build it. Notice verse 2. He says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Here he says, it's vain for you to rise up early instead of late. Now, this is not an excuse for you to sleep in every day. He's not saying it's vain for you to rise up early and sit up late. That would be a contradiction of Proverbs 31, where the virtuous woman, we're told, rises up early and stays up late. He's not saying it's vain for you to rise up early and stay up late. He's saying it's vain for you to rise up early and stay up late if the Lord's not building your house. If you're not involving the Lord in your life, then what's the point? Why get up early? Why, why stay up late? It's vain. It's empty if you don't involve God. Except the Lord built the house. They labor in vain that build it. 
It's vain for you to rise up early and sit up, uh, and sit up late and, and eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Notice verse 3. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. Children are in heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. You see that word heritage? The word heritage is where we get the same word inheritance. The word heritage means a special or individual possession. A property, it's really the definition of a heritage, is in reference to a property that may be inherited. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were given the the land of Canaan. It was divided into 12 parts and given to the 12 tribes of Israel. It was their heritage. It was land that was given to them that they were allowed to live on, that they were allowed to build on, that they were allowed to live off, they were allowed to farm it, they were allowed to work it in order to live it, but it did not belong to them. It belonged to God. It was God's land that He had given them as an inheritance, as a heritage, as a possession that was to be uh, stewarded for God. And then here God says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Your children do not belong to you. My children do not belong to me. They belong to God. They've been lent to me. They've been given, or my children have been given to my wife and I, and we've been given the responsibility to steward them for the glory of God. My job is to be a father. My wife's job is to be a mother for those children. And we are doing it on behalf of God. They are God's children, not ours. Those children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. See, if you understood that your children belong to God and not you, you might start speaking to them differently. You might start treating them differently. If, If you realize that Your children were lent to you. Remember Hannah? She said, for this child I prayed. God gave her. We had Hannah who was barren. God gave her Samuel. And she said, the Lord has lent. She said, "This this is a child that belongs to God. And she gave him back to God. Literally, she gave him back to God at the temple. Because our children do not belong to us, because we are stewarding them for God. They belong to God then we must direct our children back towards God. Notice verse 4. I love the imagery that he gives us here in Psalm 127, verse 4. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man. What's a mighty man? A mighty man is a warrior, a soldier, a professional fighter, a professional warrior. And he says, in the same way that arrows, referring to a bow and arrow, In the same way that arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. He said children of the youth are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. Notice verse 5. Happy, not stressed. Happy, not burdened. Happy, not depressed. Is the man that have his quiver full of them. Quiver full of what? Arrows. And he's using the illustration that the arrows are 
to a man, his children to a man, like, like arrows are in the hands of mighty men. He's, and when he says, look, happy is the man that has the quiver full of them, here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you have a lot of arrows, you're a happy, mighty man. I mean, if you're a, war, if you're a soldier, you're a warrior, and you're out to war, how many arrows do you want? One or 15? One or six? I mean, if you're, if you're a soldier, you're out to war, how many bullets do you want in your, in your gun? One? Or do you want a full load? Well, look, he's saying, look, as arrows are in the hands of mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that is quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And look, the Bible is saying here that you are happy both. There's two concepts to this verse. One is that you are happy when you have a lot of arrows, but he's not just referring to the fact that you have a lot of arrows. That makes you happy. No, he's not saying that just having children makes you happy because look, there are a lot of of fornicating uh, women out there and fornicating men out there. They've got children all over the place and they're not happy. So well, then what does this mean? It says, look, you are happy when you've got a lot of children and you are like a mighty man shooting them and directing them in the direction towards God. He said, you are happy when you've got a lot of children and you're directing them all towards God. You're directing them all towards God. You're directing them all towards God. You're teaching the word of God to them. You're training them and preparing them for the future. You're training them to be godly Christians godly people that love the Lord and that do right. Hey, that'll make you happy. You know what'll make you happy in the end? What'll make you happy is not how much money you had in your bank account. Let me just be honest with you. One day you're going to die. One day you may be laying on a deathbed and you're not, you're not going to on your deathbed, say to the nurse, I really, I just, before I die, I need to see my accountant. I just really need to, I just need to know how much money is in my bank account. Before I die, I need, I need to see, you know, I just need to see my co-worker. No, you know, you know who you're going to want around your bed? Your children. Amen. And you're going to hope you can see them and say, I'm happy that you're serving the Lord. John said, I have no greater joy than this to know that my children walk in truth. See, happy is the man that had this quiver full of them. Happy is the man that has a lot of children and he's working hard. Happy is the woman that has a lot of children and she's working hard to direct them towards the Lord. Is that work? Yes, it is. Is it work to disciple your children? Is it work to discipline your children? Is it work to to develop a relationship with your children? Yes, it is, but it's worth it. You'll be happy you did. You'll be glad you did. Go back to Malachi chapter 2. We'll finish up. Someone said this. What if your greatest accomplishment in life is not something you did, but someone you raised? I mean, what if the greatest thing that you could do for the cause of Christ? I mean, what if the greatest thing that, that my wife and I could do 
11 years ago, we started Verity Baptist Church. I praise God for all of the uh, blessings that have came as a result of this ministry, churches that have been starting, uh, started all over the place, and people that have been impacted. I'm always uh, uh, blessed to, to hear of, of people as I travel this country telling us about uh, all the, the, how the sermons are helping them and how uh, their, their marriages are getting better and their lives are getting better and they're drawing closer to God as a result of the preaching that they hear from this pulpit. And I'm always thankful for that. And, I, and, I, and we're trying to accomplish great things for God and do great things for God. But what if the greatest thing that I do for God is not a church that I build, but a child that we raise? What if your greatest accomplishment in life is not something you did, but someone you raised? Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15. And did not he make one? Why did he make one flesh? Why did he institute marriage? Why did he give us the institution of marriage? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? For what reason did he institute the one flesh concept of marriage? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. You know what God is looking for in your marriage? A godly seed. Children that love the Lord, that are directed towards God, and that carry on the work of God when we're gone. So number one, marriages should be committed and willing to embrace the responsibility of having children. Number two, a physical relationship is meant to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage because that physical relationship produces children. Number three, if someone is not willing or ready to take on the commitment and responsibility of having children, then they are not ready to enjoy the physical relationship of marriage and they are not ready for marriage. Number four, Christian couples should reject birth control as sinful because it ends life after conception. Number five, children should be seen as a blessing to be embraced by married couples and not a burden to be avoided. Number six, we should always remember why God wants us to have children, not simply for the sake of having children, but to raise godly children for Him. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for these concepts found in Scripture. We thank You for all of the children that You've blessed this church with. We've got kids running around everywhere. And Lord, we thank You for them. Help us to always see children as a blessing. Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes they're difficult to deal with. Sometimes they take a lot of our time and energy and money, and we understand that. Having children can be difficult. I understand that. But help us to always see our children as a blessing. Help us to see them as arrows in the hands of a mighty man and direct them towards you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.